You are listening to Spot On, a health and wellness podcast that breaks through the latest media headlines to provide you with accurate and usable information that is, well, spot on, spot on to meet your needs. I am your host, Dr. Joan Salji-Blake, a nutrition professor at Boston University and the author of the college textbook called Nutrition and You, which is used in colleges across the United States and abroad. Hello, all. You know, I love to laugh. I love to make people laugh. And, you know, over the years, I've known that, you know, when I'm laughing, it helps me improve my mood. But what emerging research is starting to tell us that laughing could be really the best medicine for you in a physiologic basis. So stay tuned to learn more and possibly have a few good laughs. So here we go, spot on listeners and viewers. We have today, we're going to be talking, uh, you know, is laughter the best medicine? So I brought on a pro, Dr. Elizabeth Frades, and she's a trained physician, but she is a trained physician in lifestyle medicine. And we're going to ask her what the heck lifestyle medicine on, because, you know, I'm all about the lifestyle. But this woman... This woman is the president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine. She's a clinical assistant professor at Harvard. That's a little college across the river. Uh, She is director of lifestyle and wellness at Mass General Hospital. And she's the director of wellness program at Spalding Rehabilitation Hospital. And she does all this because she's got a great sense of humor. She'd have to be, because how could you do all that and not have a great sense of humor? And she's so funny. Uh, and, and I asked her about herself, and this is what she tells me. I said, tell me a little bit about yourself. And this is how, this is why I love her already. She says, I have a funny father, a giggly mother, and she studied laughter. I mean, I can't wait to get in this person's brain. She studied laughter for a Lifestyle Medicine 101 course at Harvard, and she likes a good laugh. So she doesn't know this, but I have her email address, and I'm going to be her new best friend because I like to laugh too. So with that, Dr. Beth Frades, thank you so much for coming on Spot On. Oh, it's an honor and delight to be invited, Joan. Thank you for thinking of me, for finding me. And I do have to have a couple clarifications in that it, Mass General, I am the Director of Lifestyle Medicine and Wellness for the Department of Surgery. Oh, so oh that, and they that, should be laughing. <laughs> <laughs> so um, just a clarification, because uh, Mass General is, of course, a huge organization. Huge, I'm huge. It's, department, yeah. I don't people too. Oh, just uh, tell everybody it's Miss General. Whatever you're so good. All right. So listen, first of all, what is lifestyle medicine? All right. And then so let's go with that. And then how did you get into this whole laughter thing? Go ahead. What's lifestyle medicine? Yes. So interestingly, we're gonna go to my father a few mm. times today. Okay. And I will share with you that my father introduced me to lifestyle medicine and to laughter. Not oh, at, really? Not at the same time. You'll see why. So my dad at the age of 52 was an overweight, overworked, overstressed New York City businessman. 
he dined almost exclusively on fast food. He mm, walked yeah. fast, talked fast, ate fast, sometimes all three at the same time in the streets of New York. He was sedentary. He did not laugh much at this time. Uh, at the age of 52, he was trying to make his father's business that he started in New York City thrive for another generation with his two brothers. And things were stressful. It was accounting, investing firm, avenue, and he really was devoted to his family, to his father, to his clients, and to this business. So he had a lot of stress. He did not sleep. And unfortunately, when I was 18, he was 52, and I was a economics major at Harvard, going to be the third generation to take over this business. Because while I loved my dear old dad, I loved numbers. I loved uh, uh, accounting, economics. So I was going to be that third generation. I'm the youngest on that side of the family. Uh, mm -hmm. And everyone always, all my cousins would say, oh, yeah, that's great for a little bit. That that was my nickname. Um, <laughs> Elizabeth, they call me a little bit. At any rate, so the laughter started early. <laughs> it all began, um, the jokes uh, and, and the ribbing early on. But... I was economics so that I could learn to take over the business. Wow. And as I said, I w was 18, economics major, went into the coop. I'm sure you know where that is in Cambridge and Harvard Square. And it was in the 80s and there were no cell phones and my dorm room phone didn't work. So we had this thing called pay phones, which I think, Joan, you may remember, but many of the listeners probably don't. But I went right across the street to the payphone because I was so excited to get my economics books. Imagine. <laughs> but <laughs> I've, always, I've always been a bit of a bit of a nerd and, and enjoyed learning. So I was excited. Called home. And my mom said, um, great to hear from you. I've been trying to get a hold of you. Again, my dorm room <clears throat> phone didn't work. And I said, oh, well, I got my books. And she stopped me and said, your dad loves you very much. You know that. And I thought, oh, that's very strange because I do know my dad loves me very much. And why are you telling me this? So as it turns out, he had a heart attack and stroke mm -hmm. at that time. And he was in the hospital. And he was paralyzed on his left side. So my brother, who was at BU, where he studied for college, fortunately, we connected. And we drove to see, to see dad. And he was a sight for an 18 year old who had never been in a hospital and yeah. seen a sick person uh, with IV tubes and nasal prongs and all the things I know to be normal in an ICU, but at that time I, I didn't. And it was that event and my fascination with why it happened, how it happened to him exactly what happened to the heart and what happened to the brain. And then fortunately, Joan, I'll share with you, he made a full recovery, oh, fabulous. except for fine motor movement of his left hand, Joan, which generally you may know with a stroke, it's very hard to come back. So what does that translate to? Well, manipulating 20 cents, manipulating coins uh, was difficult for him in his left hand, but he could do so with his right. And then the key to all this was at 18, I watched the recovery. So it took about a year, which is quite common. He did PT, he did OT, he was in the care of physiatry, which is what I trained in physical medicine and rehabilitation after medical school. I went on to do my residency in physical medicine and rehabilitation. 
but it was about preventing the stroke and the second stroke. So this lifestyle medicine that really I was after, even Joan, when I was 18, I did, mm -hmm. I thought I'd want to be a cardiologist, a neurologist, many different things, but it didn't put it all together. And it was the recovery. So physiatry, physical medicine rehab, where someone has an event like a stroke or a spinal cord injury or traumatic brain injury, and they need to recover. It was in that phase of recovery where we used to have them for four weeks in the hospital back in the 2000s. Now that doesn't happen now, but you had a very good window for communicating, educating, empowering, coaching, change. And I really, that's what I was about, trying to help people in that crisis, which I knew so well. Yes, I didn't go through it, but I was going through it vicariously in many, many ways. And it is the passion for what I do right now. That event I can pinpoint and feel right this moment uh, when I was 18. So, you know, you know I, I can tell uh, that, you know, I, I'm so sorry you went through that. I'm so happy to hear that he fully recovered. And I'm so happy that you that allowed you to find your passion. And are we all not better for that? Thank you, Dad. Thank you. I'm sorry it happened. I really am. But boy, how lucky that it really, really clarified what you were going to do in life. Yeah, Joan, it, it, thank you for appreciating that because he even said about himself, because by the way, he made a complete lifestyle change. So he went to Pritikin centers, Whitaker centers. These, these, these were early on intensive lifestyle medicine centers that he found mm -hmm. being a savvy New York City businessman with the connections that, that he had with his clients. And he knew about very many different opportunities. So that was also very lucky for him. And he learned about vegetables and whole grains and healthy foods and that changed so at that moment when it changed for him it changed for me it changed right. for my lifestyle changed along with his because one i wanted to just encourage him on the journey but two first it was about help, helping dad and hoping he didn't have another one doing everything mm -hmm. I could to prevent him from having another and then the more i learned i realized i'm at risk now i right. now have a risk factor for heart disease that i can never take away and that's, that's right father had a heart attack before the age of 55 or your mother had a heart attack before the age of 65. So I have that in my record. I am, yeah. I am living with that. And, and I have, uh, I will, I would have high cholesterol if I didn't follow the steps that I do now with exercise, nutrition, sleep, stress, resiliency, everything that I've put together, mostly the nutrition changed for me and my cholesterol got better. You know, uh, you, you are ahead of your time, my dear, because way ahead of your time. We know this now. We know this now, my goodness gracious. But you were way ahead of your time um, to, you know, to really get a passion for this and to help people do that. And I have to tell you something. This um, uh, journal that you are, you know, the president of the American College of Lifestyle Medicine, they have a journal. And I've been reading your journal for years, for decades. Yes, yes. And it's it's not that old, right? So what is it, about 20 years old? 20? Because I, and I'm saying, well, this is, this is really, I mean, a JAMA, a JAMA is Journal American Medical Center, uh, American uh, Medical Association. I read that if I can't go to sleep. I bring that into bed with me because as soon as I get through the abstract, I'm like, I'm out. You know what I mean? But, but your journal is like, wow, this is great. And it's just, 
absolutely fine. So again, way, way ahead of your time. Okay, so I'm thinking this made dad all of a sudden become, put laughter in his life. So tell me how this came. Yeah, that's a, a great question. But before I go there again, I, 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 I need to share with you that I thank you for thinking and believing. And partly I, I agree. I was ahead of my time, but I was actually a studier. So I, again, you mentioned the American Journal of Lifestyle Medicine. When this happened to my dad and I was a freshman in college, I wanted to learn more about the medical literature. So back then, we're talking about the 80s. The way right. to do this, Joan, you know, there was only one way to do this, and that was to go to the library. So mm -hmm. I would go from Harvard College, and if you're not familiar, so that's in Cambridge, then I would take the T myself over to Harvard Medical School in Brookline, and I would go to Countway Library where they had New England Journal of Medicine. For those that are listening, I, I, you know, I've trained here in Boston too, and I would go to Countway. If you go to Countway, you know, you could you could get lost, and nobody would find you for months, right? Now, nobody would find you for months. It is massive. It is absolutely massive. And so you just basically live there. Is that it? So, so, so I would go to Countway probably weekly. I don't recall, but I would go <laughs> there to to sit in the open space, beautiful windows, where they had the current journals. Now you're talking about the stacks and I spent a lot of time in the stacks because I did a thesis on mm -hmm. mental stress and it had, how it impacts the heart. Uh, mm -hmm. so I was in the stacks and Xeroxing articles all the time with coins, putting the coins in the machine. Oh, it's the whole thing. Um, so, but, so back to building on the shoulders of giants. I mean, I, there were people really ahead of their time. Herb Benson here in Boston, Alan Rosansky, Joni mm -hmm. may not know this name, but it was his article that I read in 1988 at Countway that made me dive into stress and mm -hmm. do my thesis to replicate his results, which were published in the New England Journal of Medicine in 1988 around mental stress and its impact on the heart, on the EKG and on thallium scans, showing that for coronary artery disease patients, the mental stress, which was doing serial sevens, uh, subtractions, or public speaking, that had a whole protocol, mm -hmm. that type of mental stress could do the same thing to your heart as the exercise stress test that the coronary artery disease patients went through. Now, when I read this, I said, makes perfect sense because I knew my dad mm -hmm. and you asked, well, did this allow laughter to get into his life? That's how we got here. And I wanted to make sure that you knew that I am building on the real people that were the, the thought leaders back, Herb Benson, Alan Rosansky, Nathan Pritikin, Dean right. Ornish. There are oh so my goodness. Yes. I'm, I'm building on. So I, I was a studier of, of, of these, these individuals and I'm grateful to stand on their shoulders. Back to dad. So yes, dad would say the best years of his life were the last years of his life. Now he passed away at 79. So he got, he mm -hmm. got to the median, he got to, to the mean age of for a man basically mm -hmm. now, but he was almost lost at 52 and wow. for the best 27 years of his life. He would always say, I don't want this to happen to anyone else, but my life is forever changed and I am enjoying life so much more now. He was a funny, friendly, lovely guy. I, I He had tons of friends from high school and college 
And we used to be very social when, when I was little, his friends would come over. Then there was that period of stress with mm -hmm. the company. Then there was the post uh, stroke phase where again, I was connecting with his friends from high school and even elementary school and college. And they used to tell me my dad was so funny and he was just such a great friend and so wonderful. And I will share with you, he did try to inject humor that I did not find funny when I was in, in, in middle school and high school. But my friends did think it was funny. I thought it was so annoying. I thought it was so annoying. But I learned to appreciate his humor after <laughs> the heart attack and stroke in my 20s and, and, and thereafter. And he certainly relaxed. He certainly lived life. He started, well, first of all, he was no longer in the office at 6 and out at 11, 6 a.m., 11 p.m. That stopped. So it was, you know, consulting. He'd maybe go in at 10 a.m., mm -hmm. home at 2 p.m. Right. So he did more consulting and sort of semi-retired. He'd worked a, he'd worked a whole career's worth by 52, to be honest. Right. So he, he really pulled it back. And he slept more, worked less, loved more. He was around more. And as I say, Joan, he was there as a father. I loved him always, always. There were stressful periods and he, it was not funny. And he could, he could, like anyone that's stressed, you know, fly off the handle over a little thing and everyone would be thinking, wow, that, that was an overreaction. Poor guy. He must be really stressed. I mean, nothing awful, just the usual outbursts that can happen when you're sleep deprived, not eating well, not exercising and really stressed about numbers. After the stroke, he was able to enjoy a healthy lifestyle full of nutritious plants, fruits, vegetables, whole grains. He exercised one half hour on his exercise bike, seven days a week, maybe took a day or so off, right? If we were traveling, it wasn't ridiculously uh, strict, but it was, he enjoyed it one half hour, um, at least five days a week, almost, almost every day of the week. And then the stress resiliency, he'd go out for walks. Right, right. He would talk things out. He was actually present. So sometimes when I was growing up in high school, he would be there in the room for, say, brunch after church with his mother and our small family. And, you know, grandma and, and dad would be there at church. But he he wasn't really there when we were mm -hmm. eating brunch afterwards. He, his body was there, but you knew mm -hmm. his brain was at work. And then he'd go to work on Sunday after mm -hmm. brunch. He'd go to work. So that, those days were over. And he, yes, he started to spend more time with me. My brother, my brother got married shortly after BU and had kids when he was 24. So they were grandkids right away. And he was really involved with them, laughing and joking and playing with my kids. So yes, laughter became a much bigger part of his life. But he was a man with a sense of humor. Right. He was just squashed during the periods of, say, the late 70s to mid 80s it just was it was so squashed it was it was it was squeezed out of him that sense of humor um unfortunately right. well thank goodness he found it and thank goodness you watched a wonderful movie of his life and how he interacted with your kids and his grandchildren and everyone people he probably went to go to the store to get milk he probably's making them laugh yes and yes. It, and yeah and you know, Beth, I, I know that uh, laughter helps with stress. I know that. And you know, when you're in a bad mood, it, it's like it's so great for psychological things, things like anxiety. But really, what I've come to learn from you, my dear, because I'm reading your articles that you wrote in your journal, 
about the physiologic implications of it, which I want you to share that because we know I, I'm having a bad day. I put on a rom-com. I have to watch. Yeah. I love rom-coms because, uh, no, Beth, the mother can't die and the dog can't die. If, if I find out, the dog dies. I haven't watched Bambi because I heard the mother dies. I am just, so I'm, I'm only rom-coms. I'm only rom-coms. So that I know you feel better. And gosh knows in the world that we live in today, there's so much mental stress and how Humor and laughter really helps us out. But tell us about the changes in the body, because I don't think people really understand that. And most importantly, how can you help us all get more laughter into our life? Yes, great questions and points. I do have to bring you back to the beginning. When I was at Harvard Medical School. I run the lifestyle medicine interest group there. We started in 2008. We're still going strong. In fact, we're the prototype and template for lifestyle medicine interest groups around the country. Now, mm -hmm. 80 medical schools have lifestyle medicine sure. interest groups. About half the medical schools have these at any rate. So we were practicing what we preach. So I was doing advisor rounds, sort of faculty uh rounds uh, outside and we were walking outside the Longwood Medical School area mm -hmm. and somebody asked a question so I can't remember exactly how it went but I know somebody asked a question I responded somebody else said something we were all laughing like we had to stop on the sidewalk holding our bellies the medical students and I it was a small group of maybe five of us six I can't remember but a small group where we're all just hysterical I love that and then we I look up I look them in the eye and I said this is medicine is I mean, this has to be medicinal. Look at us, you know, and, and we're all just so happy after that. And we start being really creative. And then suddenly I stopped them again. We weren't laughing, but I said, we really must dig into the literature on mm -hmm. we, Who's in? They were like, yes, mm -hmm. yes, yes. So we, uh, we decided we would dig into the literature. Because again, you know, I love Countway. <laughs> so why not spend some more time in Countway? But at this point, you could do it uh, virtually and, and through the web. But still, I, I'd like to go to Countway. So at that point, we looked at all the articles that were available. So I'll let you know something fascinating. The first article that I found in the medical literature on laughter was in 1872. What? No kidding. I couldn't believe it. I was the first one that was reported. Now, you might remember Norman Cousins really yes. with Anatomy of an Illness. He put laughter on the map in 79. In 2006, there were maybe one article was being published in PubMed. I love PubMed. Uh, and then by 2016, when mine came out, there were about 10, 12 articles coming out that year. And now 2023, there's like 14 articles. So there's research out there. Mine was a review of the research. There's small studies out there that are showing us what happens physiologically molecularly during laughter. We need more. So these are what we call seedling studies, beginning studies, small n, small number of subjects, but very interesting. So what we found to sum it in, in general is that <clears throat> a bout of laughter is, a, is like a bout of exercise. Now stop there. Don't say to yourself, I don't have to exercise because people then raise their hands and they're like, wait, <laughs> that's terrific. No, so, no. 
I'm going to tell you, the first thing that came to my mind was listen to a podcast that makes you laugh while you're walking. So you take a two for the price of one, you know, that's, you know, I'm a Jersey girl and I had a shop. So, you know what I mean? So absolutely. So that's great. Good news. What else? Yeah, so that's stacking. I love that because I do a lot of behavior change and coaching work. And so you're stacking uh, habits, you're stacking behaviors, patterns together that are healthy. And then guess, guess what I would add to that? Bring your husband, your spouse, your loved one, a friend, a colleague along with you on that walk uh, nice. and listen to the podcast together and laugh together. So that, that would even amplify it. But so what do I mean by, and what is about of exercise? So when you laugh, you know that it can be aggressive. And as I told you, this belly laugh I was having, yeah. So you can bring up your blood pressure at that time and your heart rate at that time of laughter. The medicinal part comes after. And then after the bout, you're relaxed, parasympathetic yeah. system goes up. You're, you're, that's your rest and digest versus your fight and flight. You're sympathetic, right? Your parasympathetic goes up and your muscles are relaxed. And you're in a whole different state after a bout of laughter. An episode, when I say about an episode of laughter. How long? Okay. In general, if we can get up to, 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 you know, five minutes of laughter, terrific. With yoga, laughter, you can get to 20 minutes of laughter. Sometimes if the sitcom is that funny, you're laughing a number of bouts within the half hour time frame. So you're spending a lot of time in that, in that laughter uh, state. You know, Beth, there's something else to I mean, this is all fascinating, but something else happens to, to me if I'm walking with a friend, okay, and I'm and we're laughing, but if I make that friend laugh, mm. the pleasure that I get, what's going on with that? That's a great question. I know exactly what you're saying too, because I I feel I feel that way also. And I think that it's universal. And and now I need to get a pen to write down on my pad here to actually look up the mechanism of that. I can share with you what I think is happening. So multiple positive emotions, Barbara Fredrickson's work here, I'm building on in the moment. She talks about 10 positive emotions, um, laughter, joy, awe, pride. So you're adding a few, not, and this isn't arrogance, but when she's talking about pride, she, she's talking about feeling good that you did something, you accomplished something that you are happy and gives you a sense of fulfillment and satisfaction. So you're adding another positive emotion on top when you're the one that has initiated, instigated that laughter. So that's my guess on that. But that that is my interpretation of the literature around positive psychology and laughter. I want to share that I mentioned a drop in blood pressure, a drop in heart rate with mm -hmm. and a relaxation of the muscles. Mm -hmm. It can also create a drop in cortisol, which is... Mm -hmm. Important because when we're stressed, cortisol levels tend to go high. Mm. Now, with a high cortisol, you could also get high blood sugars. And we know that diabetes, prediabetes is a major problem that we're dealing with in the US and actually globally. So there's an indication that and through some of this uh, research that due to this drop in cortisol, we can also help people to manage their blood sugars because they're no longer going to have those spikes of cortisol where we have then a spike of blood sugar. So there is not only a stress reduction that leads to the drop in cortisol, can also research shows reduce anxiety. So that's laughter. 
Norman right. Cousins, as you know, has talked about and other articles and research has supported that laughter can increase our pain tolerance. So decrease our feelings of pain. And we, it's felt that this could be through endorphins. So the relief mm -hmm. of endorphins. This is a beautiful thing. Again, people go for a run. You get a runner's eye. Right. You can release endorphins. If you have a bout of laughing, you can release endorphins. Just real quick, another way to release endorphins for those that are looking for a, a good mood, stretching. Stretching is a way mm. to also release endorphins. So those that say, oh, I never get a runner's high. That doesn't happen to me. Try stretching. Try laughing, of course. Uh, so th those are important points to make when we're talking about the physiology around laughter. Fascinating. And this is what really got me hooked with Dexter Louie, Carolina Brooks. Uh, and these are the co-authors. Uh, Carolina Brooks was, in fact, the medical student who is the president of the Lifestyle Medicine Interest Group when we wrote this article. And what got me really hooked was when we saw research that showed that our immune system was actually helped by bouts of laughter. So antibodies, immunoglobulins, IgG, IgM, IgA, they were increasing with a bout of laughter. This implies that we could actually do better for our immune system if we laugh every day, if we do prescribe exercise. We want to get rid of the toxins, the pathogens, bacteria, viruses, and fight these. We want to protect our mucosa. IgA protects the mucosa. IgM is going to help fight the pathogens. IgG attacks the toxins, bacteria, the viruses. So all these antibodies are actually helped with bouts of laughter as the research is showing and indicating. Again, we need large-scale studies to really understand this connection. But this is what these studies are, are indicating to us, are demonstrating to us at this point. So not only do we get a bout of exercise, endorphins, reduce cortisol, reduce our blood pressure and heart rate after laughter. People will say, wait a minute, when I'm laughing, I know my heart rate's up and I know my, yes, it's like when you're exercising, your heart rate's up and your blood pressure's up. And then when you stop, everything relaxes. It's the same. That's why we call it, it's like a bout of exercise. Uh, but you still need to exercise to get a lot of benefits of exercise and to increase your cardio respiratory fitness, which is so, so important for longevity. Okay. No, this is absolutely, this is fascinating. Uh, I love this and, and, and the sciences that, that you stated about this, more science is going to come about this and it's free. It's free. It's free. It's free. And everybody can have access to it if they just understand the power of laughter. I mean, and now with Netflix, I can do 40 minutes of friends one <laughs> after another and keep that laughter going. I mean, I cannot watch friends on an airplane because I laugh too loud and people are like, shh. I'm like, I'm so sorry, I'm so sorry, but that phone's like, yeah, it's so funny. But if you could just go at the end of every day and stretch and watch a funny show like that, what a wonderful way to clear your head and to clear your body. And and how I mean, what a wonderful way to end the day. I mean, it's just absolutely great. So what are some tips? Because that people always say when they listen to these podcasts, just tell what can I do? How can I do this? So how how can people remember to put laughter into their life? Great question. And you have a few good suggestions. So you can do this with podcasts, you can do mm -hmm. 
easily on your way home, right? To try to get that separation from perhaps the stress of work to, to home. You could do then Netflix when you get home. You could even comic books, even oh. right cartoons. There are yes. books that can also help us. I got a dad's joke book. Well, my dad's no longer here, as I shared with you. So I, I, for Father's Day, I got myself a dad's joke book, and I, I sometimes thumb through that. So, But what I would actually recommend is we honor laughter, and we understand that it is medicinal, and we understand that going through the day, we can find some pretty funny things going on. Right. And we can have a whole new perspective about a situation that's happening at work, for example. My students say that I'm funny, which to me is funny because I don't think I'm funny. I, I and I, I often don't try to be funny, which is also disturbing and alarming at the same time because either funny or funny and I'm not trying to be funny. I'm not sure exactly what's going on. <laughs> Except that I do go through the day and I do think about how silly that was instead of how awful, how uh, mean, how rude, how this, how that, those, th those things may be one way to interpret what happened uh, or stressful. Another way is how silly, how ridiculous. Can you believe this happened? I can't believe this happened. And, and I, I just try to go through my own day thinking, what's the funny story of today? Right. So, so for example, I'm just thinking right now off the top of my head about a client I had who was 74-ish and she was trying to lose 30-ish pounds for a vacation she was going to in Florida. We had six months to, to do this and she wanted to do this so that she could wear a bathing suit because her friend was going to be there and her friend had lost a lot of weight and she was competitive with her friend. So she wanted to lose more weight. Anyway, the whole thing was, was just so much fun. And she was hysterical. My first meeting with her, I usually walk with people when it's one-on-one. -on -one. The meetings are walking meetings. You can understand why. Right, right. It increases creativity. It's fun. You're moving. And then by the way, you have an hour of exercise already in and you didn't even know you did it. So this was one of those. And then you and then you bill them for it. Okay. So you got hours of exercise and you bill. Okay. I that's fabulous. I'm I'm thinking about doing that. Okay, okay. Keep going. Sorry. So I said, Would you like to walk? And she this is the first time I met her. And she just stood up. And some people are funny like this. This is what I mean. I'm not funny like this. She's funny. So yeah. she stood up. I won't I won't do it for you, but she stood up and then she pointed to her behind. She said, I gotta get this caboose going. Yeah, let's go for a walk. And I just started giggling. And I just started giggling like my giggly mother, right? So I just giggled. Right. And, and so the point is, though, she made great progress. And you do need variety. So there was a point right. where she walked, lost 25 pounds from walking. Wow. Then she started biking. I mean, she was an incredible 74-year-old. And then she mm -hmm. said, you know, Beth, you say that you practice what you preach. So how about you try something new? I was like, oh, well, that's interesting. Sure. What? Let's hula hoop. There's a hula hooping club in the community center that starts in four weeks. Are you going to sign up? Uh -oh. so you put me right on the spot. Right? That is tough exercise. I, you know what? That's why children do it and not adults because hula hooping is unbelievable and it's hard to do. And you and when you do it at our age, you're like, wait a minute, I did this when I was 10 and I was darn good at it. So what the heck happened? It's the same body. Well, I know what happened. You haven't done it since you're age 10, but that is fabulous, fabulous exercise. You know, you gave me some very, very good pointers and I I'm so glad that you gave so many 
uh, not only the, the science behind it, some good pointers. I'm going out and I'm going to get a dad's joke book. Yes. And I'm, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put it on my bed and I'm going to read a few pages of it before I go to bed. And this way I go to bed laughing because I want to start the day laughing. And in the morning, I'm going to stretch. I'm going to be laughing too. So I'm gonna, it's going to be like the Oreos, you know, in between the day I, I stretch, I laugh, I end the day with laughter and the cream is not so good, but we'll worry about that. <laughs> so so I want to just thank you, Dr. Beth Frades, for coming on here and for sharing this and also for continuing to do what you do and the science that you build upon this because what a great story about your father and you know we all have people we love in our life that have gone to have medical issues and there's great hope and there's great fun in helping them and helping yourself and my gosh if it involves laughter it is terrific so with that, my dear, I want to thank you so, so much for being on Spot On. Oh, thank you, Joan. Spot On is supported by the Boston University Sargent College's Master of Science degree in Nutrition Program. Log on to bu.edu to learn more about this fabulous nutrition graduate program. Thank you for listening to Spot On. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. This way you'll get every new episode every week. And by the way, leave us a nice review. And can you also like us on our Spot On Facebook page and suggest topics for future episodes? Please follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Joan Salgy Blake. And oh, by the way, can you send this episode to five of your friends? Do I ask a lot of you? <laughs>